good morning to everyone who is with us at this time. Um, I, Tashina, I was about to call you this morning to say to your girls start praying. The, the, the title of the message I sense God has given me this morning is the sacredness in the ordinary. I would say to you, it's a part one. The sacredness in the ordinary. Our text as read from Sister Laverne is Exodus 25 verses 1 to actually 9. And I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Exodus 25 verses 1 to 9. I want us to look at it together. I want your eyeballs to touch the page or touch your iPhone or your anything that you have that you're reading from. I want your eyeballs to touch the words so that God would also be speaking to you directly, illuminating his words for you. Last year, as, as, as I prepared for what I sensed God was sharing with me for the to preach at the end of the year and the beginning of end of 2023 and the beginning of 2024, I wrote it down and I had it in a particular order. What was supposed to be preached this week? What is to be preached next week? What was to be preached last week? I totally forgot the order in which I had it. And I, so I started preparing a message from Exodus 31 which in fact, it should have been Genesis 4. When I, in the middle of the week, I decided to just go and look at my, my schedule, to look at my outline. When I looked at my outline, I realized I was, in the, I was actually working on what should have been for next week. So I said, you know what? I prayed, I said, God, if you want me to change it, let me know. My mother would say, Kanangapong, nothing. For those of us who, who understand, who were, if you were born after me, you may not understand it. Kanangapong <laughs> mean nothing. No words were spoken. Nothing was understood. And so I continue to prepare. But my, my, my natural way of preparation is that if I am going to be focusing on, on Exodus 31, I'll start reading from as far as Exodus 24 and I'll go as far back as Exodus 35, 37. And I did that and I did it more than once because you want to read it from different versions. You want to understand the text. You want to see what is coming before. You want to see how, what you are going to be sharing, what influences the text and what happens after you have come upon your observation. You wanted to know, did it play out? Did it change the situation? Change was the situation the same? What did God say? What did God do? And so I did all of that, and I did it more than once, as I told you. But guess what? I found myself stuck at Exodus twenty-five. I couldn't go beyond that. Having observed all the different chapters, I realized I found myself keep going back to Exodus twenty-five. That for me was strange because. I said, God, this is not a comfortable topic for me. This is not one of the topics that I would want to speak on at NLH. I, it's very uncomfortable. But anyway, the Lord kept saying to me, the sacredness in the ordinary. The sacredness in the ordinary. What does that mean? The sac sacredness in the ordinary means that for our everyday mundane experience, can carry spiritual or profound significance. It in essence it is saying that God comes in our ordinary day, in our ordinary everyday mundane life, and he comes and he infuses it with his presence. 
we do not have to seek out grand or extraordinary events to encounter God. So we don't have to climb up on the mountain. We don't have to go to Mecca. We don't have to go to those places to meet God. God can be met right where you are, in your home, in the supermarket, in your workplace, in your church, wherever you are, God can be encountered. Encountering God should become a lifestyle. That is when the sacredness be becomes infused with the ordinary. You encounter God in your everyday lifestyle. When you and I recognize the sacredness, that sacredness is, in, is, is inherent in the incarnational lifestyle lived by Jesus. Your everyday life, my everyday life, the simple moments, or routine tasks and common interactions can find deeper meaning, deeper connection, and a sense of God's presence in the ordinary things we do. So my question to you, having explained what the sacredness in the ordinary means, how have the sacred become infused with your ordinary? How have the sacred or how has the sacred becomes in, become infused with your ordinary? As we begin 2024, we recognize that God is saying to us through this passage, I desire to live with you. I desire that your ordinary become infused with my presence. The sacred, the, the sacred desires to live in your ordinary, to be infused with your ordinary. God wants to transform your routine lifestyle, your mechanical lifestyle, the simple moments in your life, the, the common interaction that you find yourself in. God wants to come and to make those ordinary moments sacred. From Exodus 25, we will discover that when we willingly offer our best in worship, whether they be ordinary materials and actions, when they are dedicated to God with sincerity, they become vessels of the sacred. What am I saying to you this morning? That anything you offer to God becomes sacred. Anything you give to God Surrender to God from a sincere heart becomes sacred, a sacred vessel. You and I are sacred vessels through which he uses to witness to the world. You and I, when we live our lives in total surrender to the living God, we become the sacred vessels through which God will work, through which others will hear, through which others will know. So as I said to you, I want you to be with me at Exodus 25 because we're going to get there. Keep it open. Exodus 24, you will recognize if you go to read it, you will see that God summons Moses to ascend the mountain to be with him. And you'll see the stories where he tells Moses, let the people, do not let them come beyond the foot of the mountain. But he invites 70 elders to come up a halfway the mountain. And then there he said to Moses, come up and stay with me, come up and be with me. I hear God saying to you today, come up, come up and be with me. The sacred desires today to, to come and dwell with you. While on the mountain, God tells Moses to ask the Israelites for a sacred offering of gold silver, and other materials. God was very specific. The purpose of the offering is to construct a tabernacle, which is a holy sanctuary where God will dwell among his people. Everyone was invited to give an offering to the work of God, but only the offerings that were given from a willing and a generous heart would be accepted. God does not accept our offerings 
given out of compulsion or obligation. And you know, sometimes we give because we are expected to give. You know, sometimes we give because we feel let let me just give give a little. Let nobody so that nobody can say I didn't give. But God is saying to us this morning, when the sacred becomes a part, or when the sacred is infused in your ordinary, even your giving changes. As I said to you this morning, Tashina was going to call you. I didn't know that you were the desert one to pray for me. It's not a comfortable topic for me. This is not a comfortable topic for me to address, but I have to be obedient. Let us read from Exodus 25 verses 1 to 9. Please let your eyeballs be touching the words, either in your printed paper or on your device, one of your devices. The Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Tell the Israelites, tell Enelich to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings that you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. Goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and hides of sea cows. How more specific could he have gotten? Even the color of how it should be dyed. Because the ram don't come with red hair, but God wants it to dyed red. He didn't want us regular cows. He wants sea cows, so there to be some large mammal they would have to go to kill to get, right? A care wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So we see God saying to Moses, tell, the, tell these Israelites, tell my people this, tell them. The statement, tell the Israelites to bring me their sacred offerings, was not one of a command. It wasn't a demand. It was an invitation. Notice, God did not tell Moses what the offerings were for. Initially, he says, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering, full stop. Then he tells them how and what they are to bring. It's not until verse 8 that he tells them what the offering is for. God wanted Israel to be motivated by a willing heart more than by a specific need. You and I will hear that, okay, we are collecting money because we want to do a food drive and you will be moved because you may be moved by poverty. You may be, you may be someone who, who can't manage to know that someone is poor or naked or without shelter. You'll be moved to give. But God did not specify to Moses the reason for the offering because he wanted the people to be motivated by a willing heart, I'm just repeating, more than by a specific need. We do not give because God, because we do not give because God or the church need our offerings. We give because we are called to conform and to emulate the giver himself. Remember, I started out by telling you that it's a lifestyle. 
And for it to be a lifestyle, an incarnational lifestyle of us modeling and following and living according to the standards and the model set by Jesus, every area of his life, we have to be conformed to. As I said earlier, this statement was not a command or a demand. It was an invitation. It was an invitation to demonstrate their love and their devotion for God. The truth be told, our money, how we spend our money. I think I heard Laverne saying that very early this morning when we met in the earth before service. How we spend our money or what we do with our money tells us or speaks louder than we know it should. It tells what is important to us. As God invites the Israelites to bring their sacred offerings to him, he invites you and he invites me to bring our sacred offering to demonstrate our love and our devotion to him. Your giving and my giving should not be primarily because of a need that we hear about. We don't have to wait to hear that Haiti had that or to hear that something happened in Jamaica or to hear that Japan. No. We give because the sacred has found its place, has infused himself into our ordinary so that we become like him. The Lord was commissioning the building of a tabernacle where he wanted to dwell. It will be a holy place where the Israelites can meet with God, even in the midst of their journey. So you know that they were traveling for, 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 for so many years. But they could meet with God in those times. Because this tabernacle was now set up, it was in place. It was not something that was permanent. It was moving as they moved. As they pitched tent and rested, the tabernacle st stopped. And as you continue to read, you'll see that the tabernacle was made of curtains. Later, you'll see David desiring to build a, a temple, which Solomon eventually built, which was going to be a permanent structure. But here God was saying, I wanted to dwell with my people. As my people moved, I wanted to be in the midst of them, to move with them. The sacred was coming to in, be infused in their ordinary lifestyle. However, to construct the tabernacle, the Israelites had to give to God to accomplish the work. Notice in verse two, it says, tell the Israelites to bring me, not Moses, not the elders, not the leaders, but to bring him, God, an offering. The, and, and, and then he specifies the types of offering. God was very specific. He didn't say, just bring me whatever you want to bring. Bring me a little of what you have. He was very specific. He said, I want gold, I want silver, I want bronze, I want blue, I want purple, I want fine linen, I want, I want the, 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 the hair from the ram, I need, I need the hide of the sea cow. He was very specific. He wanted olive oil for the lambs. Very specific. He didn't say bring me some coconut oil or some soybean oil or some vegetable oil. He was very specific and he said what it was for. And if you go on to, to, to Exodus 27, 20, you'd recognize that the oil that he needed was so that the lambs would never stop burning. God this morning is inviting you and I, his people, to give him back a portion of the best of what he has given to you. He's not saying, just give me some of the little things you have, something that you don't have any use for. You know, we have a way of giving at the end, end of the year, and we say we're giving. But what we truly sometimes give are the old clothes that we don't want to take them to Salvation Army, and we feel so pleased with ourselves we gave. God wasn't asking for, your, for the used items. He wasn't asking for the things that you no longer need or needed. 
he was asking the Israelites to give him a portion of the best of what they had, the best of what he had already. He was the one who gave it to them. And he was saying to, to them, now give me back a portion of what I have given to you. God was saying to the Israelites, all of the materials that were necessary for building or for constructing this tabernacle must be supplied by you. He wasn't planning to call on the Canaanites. He wasn't planning, he wasn't waiting until he got to Canaan where he could uh, uh, take, say to them, take the plunders from Ai or the plunders from Jericho. He said, I wanted the produce that I, the plunder that I gave you when you left Egypt. When I said to you, ask of your neighbors, ask of the Egyptians, and they gave them gold and silver. He says, I am now asking you back for a portion. And one may wonder, but why, would not, why wouldn't God be in God? Just build a tabernacle out of anything. Because he could have blessed it and sanctified it and make it whole, right? It was not because God couldn't provide the things that were necessary. It's because God was saying, when the sacred comes in and lives and infuses himself in the ordinary, the ordinary has to submit. The ordinary has to be a part of what is happening. You and I are invited. And that is the hard part for me this morning. When I hear God say to me, tell NLH that I am inviting them to build. I'm inviting them to have the heart that give. It says, tell NLH, I'm not asking them to give a little of what they have or that they give what they, their minds tell them to do. It says, tell NLH that he's going to be specifically telling each person what he wants to give. And if you know me, you know that this is, I don't speak about money. I don't like talking about money. God who owns everything is inviting you and is inviting me to give to him. This is one of the ways our everyday actions can carry spiritual or profound significance. Giving had to be voluntary. Notice he said to them, tell them to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. God was not saying, tell them I need money from them and they must bring it. No. He was saying to them, in order to serve him, in order for the sacred and the ordinary to be infused, there must be a willingness on the path of the ordinary. God was saying that the characteristics of giving, giving as, 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 as an attribute or, an, or, or the nature of a human being is accomplished when we give from a place of willingness. According to Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 verses 67, every believer is called to give and must decide in his or her heart and mine, how much to give. However, Paul tells us that those who sow sparingly or reap sparingly. Those who sow generously, reap generously. Giving must be spontaneous and not from compulsion or reluctancy. And I know that there's a possibility that as I'm speaking now, someone may be saying, there goes another money message. I, will, I refuse to tell you that if you sow, you're going to reap. That's not what I'm telling you this morning. I'm here this morning on an assignment that I would never have chosen. I do not like to speak about money. How many times am I going to say that? But I hear God said to me, tell my people, I want them to have a 
heart of generosity. I want them to have a heart of gratitude. I want them to give from a sincere place, not because they are told to give. Giving develop our hearts to be more like God, who is the greatest giver. I know all of us love to receive. I don't, I don't, I don't think I know anyone who don't like to receive. Some, may be, some person may like to receive more than others, but we all like to receive. We wouldn't mind now if we, 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 we get a text message on our phone, someone zealous, $50,000, $50 million. We will be on top of the world looking down on creation. But God is saying to us that he is the greatest giver. Yet he's saying to us, when the sacred comes and lives with the ordinary, the lifestyle of the ordinary changes. We conform to the lifestyle. We conform to the image of the creator, the greatest giver. Giving is a form of worship and devotion to God. We think about the praise and worship aspect of our meeting in, in the morning. We think about, the, the, we highlight the praise and worship where we need to have good praise. We highlight the speaker and, and, and the message, but we don't play the moments of giving. We say, give if you can give. Give when you can give. Give what you can give. But as I, as I prepared, especially in the latter part of the week, as I said to you, my message changed. This is not where I was planning. I hear and I sense God say to me, I supply the seeds to give. So there are times when we heat our seeds or we wear our seeds because what we do, we spend our seeds on other things than what God has called us to do with our seed. And he says, when you and I give, in essence, we are worshiping. In essence, we are sharing and we're demonstrating how devoted we are to him. What I also notice is that he didn't say only bring me gold. And next week, as we as we go into part two, you'll recognize that he was also he, he was also going after their gifts and their talents. Various types of offerings were required, but they all had to be sacred and sacrificial. He was asking for gold. He was asking for the best of what he has given them. He was asking the Israelites for something that he never provided. And he's not asking you and I for something he never provided. The Israelites had to reflect a grateful heart that wants to give back. When the sacred is infused with the ordinary, check what happens. The ordinary wants to give back. The ordinary wants to sense. Sister Laverne started a very good conversation this morning as we, we waited for service to start and prepared ourselves for service to start. She asked us, how do you hear from God? How do you know that God has spoken? It shows up in our lifestyle, Sister Laverne. Check or your, where you're moved. Check where you, and then you said to us where, where we spend our money. Check where we are more inclined. Check what is our treasure. What is your treasure? What means the most to you today? Because what means the most to you, that's where you spend your treasure. God wanted them to reflect a grateful heart. A heart that gave back, the heart that gives back a portion of what was received from the Lord back to the Lord. The offering had to be the best they could offer. In Genesis 4, 3 to 5, which I thought I had scheduled to preach this week, 
but made a mistake, but see the Lord brought it all the way around again. This, this, this story of Cain and Abel, and it best illustrates this point. Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. So one is a farmer, one is a shepherd. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought, or Abel brought the best portions of the first lamb, firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And there are many debates around why, but more and more as you read, scholars are saying it's not because of because Cain offered veget was a farmer. That's what he could have offered. If he's a farmer, he's gonna offer uh, offer produce. But notice the difference. Cain offered some of his fruits, but Abel offered the best portion of the firstborn lamb from his flock. What is the difference? One just gave something because it's a requirement. The other one took the time to say, God, I am giving you a, the best portion of what I have. When the sacred becomes infused with the ordinary, giving the best to the sacred is what motivates and drives you and I. The Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he rejected Cain's. In, 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 verse, in verse two, it says, in Exodus 25, verse 2, he says, you are to receive the offering from me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. All are invited to give, but only those whose hearts were prompted and moved to give were accepted. In essence, what God is saying, I'm giving all of you an opportunity to give, but I will only accept those who gave with willing hearts. Those who did not give out of obligation and duty. Those who weren't just satisfied in giving a little, but those who wanted to give the Lord their best. Their giving was to be motivated by genuine love for God. Think about when you're buying a gift. Christmas is coming, our birthday gifts, and you have the, the resources to purchase the gifts. Notice the gift that you offer to those that you love and the gift that you offer to those who are, you are not so in love with. Notice the gift that you will offer your children or your favorite person, whoever that favorite person is, as opposed to the person that you're giving a gift because you're expected to give a gift. Sometimes, you know what we do? We re-gift things we do not want. But we don't give them to people that we care about. We give them to those that we don't really care about that much. Isn't that what we do? Be honest. You don't have to answer. You can say it yes to the Lord. He will hear. That's what we do. But God is saying that when you are motivated by love for him, you don't just give him, you don't re-gift things. You don't, you don't just give him because, you know what? If I don't give, they're going to say I didn't give. You give because you're offering the best portion. A portion, notice he's asking for a portion. And I'm not here this morning speaking about tithes and offering because it's more than tithes and offering. What God is calling us to is not a Sunday morning 10% giving. That's not what he's calling us to. He's calling us to a lifestyle. A lifestyle that because, because of the incarnation, a lifestyle of Christ, he's calling us to, 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 to live the way Christ lived. To be conformed to the image of God and to be the giver that we are looking to. Giving should be motivated by generosity. Giving should be sincere. Giving should be driven by devoted hearts. 
God only wants an offering from those who willingly give. So if you find yourself giving out of compulsion, better you keep it and go shopping. He's not accepting it. You, you, you don't have it, but he didn't accept it. That's what I'm sensing from this text. It says only accept or receive an offering from each man whose heart prompts him to give. Our hearts can't prompt us to give if it's not a generous heart. Think about it. Sometimes we give it not because of our heart. It's not because we are motivated, we are moved to give. We give for the wrong reason. 2 Corinthians 8.12 emphasizes the principle of giving based on one's means. Paul suggests that willingness and eagerness to give are more important than the actual amount given. Notice. Some person may be in a position to give 10. Some person is in a position to give 5. It is never about the amount that you give. It's about the willingness to give and the eagerness to give to the Lord. That God is watching and God knows what he has given you. He knows. I don't know. The treasurer don't know. The church, the church don't know. But God knows. And so where I may be impressed with someone coming and giving a check for 20000 God may not be impressed because God says, you know what? I gave you the ability to give 100000 And someone who gave their best may come with $5 and God says, I am so impressed with you because you gave more than I thought you could have given because I know that you only had $6. I'm just using those hypothetically. In essence, God values the heart and intention behind our offerings before he values the quantity and the size of our giving. God values the heart and intention behind our offerings rather than the quantity of size of the gift. Then the third point is we notice is that God was very specific in verse 3. He said, these are the offerings you are to receive from them. God was very specific in what he needed. They could not just give what they wanted. They couldn't give iron. They couldn't give any other form of metal. God was specific. He needed gold. He needed silver. And he needed bronze. And as you continue to read, you're going to see what he took the bronze, the gold to make and how he had the, the, the craftsmen beating the bronze out to make what he wanted to make. You, if you continue to read, you'll see it. And we will explore those things next, next week. They could not give what they wanted to give. God wanted them to give their best. Each item... Uh, as, as a symbolic or a spiritual representation that is relevant to the tabernacle. Everything that God asks you and I to give is relevant to the furthering of his work. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says grace is cheap, but it is costly. It is costly to share the gospel, though it is free. It is costly to share the gospel, though it is free. And you remember, sharing the gospel is not only telling someone that Jesus has forgiven you. It's coming into a, into, into a person's life and bringing about change. God deserves our best. Not our leftovers. Not the morsels that we want to give to him because it is. Let me just let me just give something. When we give to God, let's not give him what we can easily discard, but what we treasure the most. Second Corinthians speaks about generous giving. We, some of us love to quote the Malachi 3.10. 
about the 10%. But um, second Paul says, no, we're going above and beyond that. It's a generous giving. And your generous giving may not even be 10% because it may be more. The most you can give, you can't give 10%. But, but your heart, your heart dictates your giving. In Psalm, 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, David wanted to buy Aruna's threshing floor to build an altar to the Lord. But Aruna wanted to give David the threshing floor as a gift. David insisted on paying for it. He said, you know what? I do not want to offer God anything that did not cost me something. He would not sacrifice to the Lord burnt offering that cost him nothing. And the truth be told, many times you and I want to give to the Lord something that cost us nothing. It was nothing to give. I just give him. I think about when we are going to Kenya. I remember specifically last year, a sister said she was not taking any used clothes to Kenya. Because everybody had used clothes to give. She said, I'm not taking your used clothes to Kenya. She was specific. She said, I wanted to give the people, God's people, the best. So give them a pair of your shoes that has not been worn, that you bought for yourself. I remembered a couple of years ago, the Lord brought to my attention how we are as people where we have, where, 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 where we, we give to those we value the most, the best. And those we don't, we give them the, the least. The tabernacle was more than a structure. It was a reflection of the Israelites' commitment to God. When the tabernacle was completed, which you'll see further on, you'll recognize that when those people would have stopped and looked at it, they would have said, we gave to the Lord. Can you identify anything that you gave to the Lord? What about yourself? Can you truly say you gave yourself to the Lord? When we give to NLH, it's more than giving to a church. It is a reflection of our commitment to God. It shows our worship and our devotion to God. Without giving, the truth is, NLH cannot further the work that God has called. Going off to Kenya and doing all of what NLH is doing in Kenya, even, even as simple as it is to have our Zoom line, we would never be able to do it. When we give, we continue the work of God. We further the work of Jesus. So what is needed of you? At NLH, we need your time. We need your talent. We need your gift. We need your money. We need your homes. Because when you give to the work of the Lord, you give to God. So this is what I hear God saying to me this morning. Tell NLH that I invite them to spend more of their time growing in intimacy with me. Tell NLH that the sacred desires to come into their ordinary. Tell NLH this morning that I desire the best offering from them, their best offering. What is the best offering that you can give to God? You know and God knows. God says, tell NLH to give generously and spontaneously, not from compulsion or grudgingly. Tell NLH to give 
with grateful, sincere, and devoted hearts. Tell NLH to give by faith. Tell NLH to give by volunteering to moderate at least once per month because right now we have a crisis in NLH. We need persons to moderate. It says, tell NLH that when you give to me, you give to the work of God. Not me, Ava. God invites you to offer your homes. So that there can be a church location. We, we, we are NLH thinking about house churches. We want to be able to create those environments where people can come and we can do life on life together. Tell NLH to offer me their home, the same home that he has provided for you. He says, all I'm asking you, two hours per week four days per the month so that someone can come and experience what it is to have life in community with other believers. Tell NLH to be my witnesses of my love to their friends, their neighbors, their co-workers and the communities in which they live so that others can know his love, forgiveness and redemption. Tell NLH to offer me their gifts, their gift of hospitality, their gifts of intercession, their gifts of evangelism, their gifts of healing, teaching, prophecy, encouragement, all that will edify the body that I have given to them. And that is what I, that, that stood out to me when I kept hearing the Lord say to me, what I have given to them. What I have given to them. What I have given to them. In essence, God is saying, all that I'm asking you for is what I, I, I gave to you. He says, tell NLH to give generously and not sparingly to further the work of Jesus. Your giving and my giving is a reflection of our commitment and devotion to God. Every act of generosity and every moment of service should be a testament of our love and dedication to God. I will repeat. Every act of generosity, and remember, we're asking for time, for talents, for your gifts, for your skills. Every act of generosity and every moment of service should be a testament of your love and dedication to God. As we reflect on Exodus 25, let us ask ourselves, how have we been given to giving to the Lord? Have we been giving willingly? Have we been giving from a heart that overflows with gratitude? Are we offering God our best or are we holding back and just giving him what we do not need? True worship is a heart's response to God's gracious goodness and in gratitude for his grace. When the sacred is infused in the ordinary, giving is just one of the things we do. Just one of the things we do. We give of ourselves. We give of our time. We give of our talents. We give of our money. I remembered when I was in, living in Jamaica, there was a friend of mine who 
she would never give you a, if someone needed a ride to, 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 to go home from church, she would never give them a ride. She would say, I prefer to give them the money because she valued her time more than her money. And maybe that's your situation. You value your time more than you value your money. So you can quickly give your money. For others, you may value your money more than you value your skills. And so you can quickly give whatever is easier. But God is saying, when the sacred comes in the ordinary, giving is what you do. So if he's, if he's asking you for your time, time, your time is what he needs to build. If he's asking you for your money, your money is what he wants to build, to use to build. If he's asking you for your gifts, your gifts are what he's asking you to use to build. We don't have to seek out great and extraordinary moments to encounter God. It's a lifestyle. And it begins with giving of ourselves. Giving of ourselves requires giving of our emotion, giving of our resources, giving of our time, giving of our, our treasures, the things that we treasure. Our everyday mundane experiences can carry spiritual or profound significance. When we give and allow the sacred to be infused in our ordinary. So I pray this morning, Father, that as your daughters and your son hear your word, they would hear different things because you're speaking to us individually. You said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring gold. Some persons you require gold from. Tell them to bring silver. Tell them to bring bronze. Tell them to bring blue and purple yarn. Tell them to bring, and you listed oil, olive oil for lighting. You listed and for the incense. You listed all, all of what you wanted, God. This morning, your daughters and your sons are hearing you. And Father, they may be hearing different things. But Lord, will you speak to their hearts individually and specifically this morning? Will you cause them to hear your voice as we started out this morning saying, how do you hear the voice of God? Father, may no one this morning not understand or hear your voice clearly. May your voice come across so clearly that everyone who hear, give them, the grant them a willing heart to obey. Because God, if they give to you from compulsion and obligation and duty, you are not going to receive it. Mr. Father, give us willing hearts. Cause us to want to volunteer, God, to serve. Serve, serve, God. Serve each morning to serve in different ministries, to serve. I, yes, I want to be one of those who pray weekly over any late. I want to dedicate myself as one of those who, 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 who sit before the Lord each week and pray for the church. I want to be the one to one who give financially that let my seed count. I want to be the one, one who offer my service each week that I can moderate or I can teach, I can hear what God is saying and present his word. I want to be the one who comes each week and in the middle of the week I'll call and I'll encourage different persons. Father, your word does not change. You never accepted Cain's offering, though it was offered. You will not, you said to Moses, I will not accept the offerings from those whose hearts are not willing. And the message rings home the same. I will not Receive or accept your offering. 
that was not offered from a willing heart. And so, Father, help us. We're at different stages on the journey. Help us to be willing. Some this morning may even think that, yes, it's a money talk again. Everywhere you go, it's about money, 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 money. Lord, this morning, as I said to your father, it's not easy, but I boldly stand and say, yes, money is necessary for the work of God to continue. There's nowhere you can go that money is not needed. And the church, whether it be NLH or another church, money is needed. When you and I give to the work of God, when you and I give to God, we give to the work of God. You do not give to the leaders. It is God who sees your gifts, acknowledges your gifts, and receives your gifts. And so, Father, I pray that NLH will be known as a giving church. We will give to others as small as we are, Father. You see our heart where we have given to others. We, Lord, we, we are trying to, 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 to build churches in Kenya, yet we don't even have a home for ourselves. We're trying to do things for other locations that we do not have because you have moved upon our hearts to give. Father, may we always give willingly, with sincerity, with gratitude for all that you have done for us. We give back. And so, Father, I pray this morning that the sacred the sacred, the sacred, the sacred will be infused within our ordinary this morning. That God, the things that we will do this morning will be motivated from a lifestyle that emulates Christ. The Father be glorified this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to invite Reverend Heron for um, communion. Good afternoon, sisters. And I'm not sure there's a brother, but here we are, gathered in the presence of God. Isn't it wonderful that God desires to dwell in the midst of his people? And so he first of all had a, a tabernacle erected and then later on a temple which has been replaced by the Lord Jesus Christ himself who referred to himself as the temple. Remember, he said, destroy this temple, and after three days, I will rebuild it. But then, that is being represented today by the church, which is his body. And what a privilege it is, just as how he called on the Israelites to contribute to the building of this, the, the, the tabernacle and later on the building of the temple. So to today, we are our components. We are members, as the scripture says, of the body of Christ. The place where God dwells today he no longer dwells in buildings made with hands, technically. He dwells in our human bodies. And he dwells among us when we gather corporately, collectively, as children of God. 
and members, a body that is connected to, to Christ as the head. And as such, we have a tremendous privilege, but every privilege comes with a responsibility. And one of the responsibilities we have is to remember, to celebrate, to celebrate the one who is the head, the one who is the source of life, and the one who has made us who we are in him. Just as how we read in Exodus chapter 12, where as the children of Israel were getting ready to be delivered, God said, here is an ordinance that I am laying down that will serve to remind you of the greatness of this deliverance, of how people who were born in bondage, lived in bondage, suffered in bondage, were going to be delivered, delivered from slavery. They're going to be set free. And remember, he said that the first thing you're going to do after you're delivered is you're going to worship me. Within a few days, they were expected to be in Sinai worshiping him. Of course, because of their disobedience, it took them 40 years. But God desires our worship more than anything else. He desires our worship. And so as we gather, we gather in different spaces, but in spirit we are gathered together around the table of the Lord in the presence of the Lord. And as the Israelites were instructed to remember how that, that night, a lamb died in the place of each firstborn. And we gather here today to remember that as the prophet proclaimed, that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He carried our sorrows, he bore our sins in his own body. He died for us. And in the words of the institution, he said in that upper room at the last Passover, he said, as he took the bread, and I invite you to take whatever you have representing the bread, whether a biscuit or whatever, or a, a, low, a piece of a loaf or whatever, what I have is a wafer. I invite you to take this bread, which he says represents his body. You remember his body. Remember how he suffered. He suffered beyond recognition as a human being. He suffered as he was rejected. He was battered, bruised, beaten, broken. He laid down his life as that one sacrifice forever for sin. As John the Baptist declared, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And having had our sins forgiven, we celebrate this uh, today. We remember how he died for us. So sisters, and maybe there are brothers who in the future will, 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 will be a part of this. Let's eat it in remembrance of Christ.
And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, likewise, after supper, he took the cup. He took one of the four cups that were there, one that was never used up until then. And he says, this cup is the new covenant. It represents the new covenant in my blood. Covenant was ratified by blood, but not the blood of an animal, but the blood of Jesus Christ himself. And as the Old Testament says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So pouring out his blood was his act of dying. Dying in our place, dying for us. He died a death that we should have died. So that we can share in the life which is eternal, eternal life. And so let's give thanks, let's worship, let's celebrate as we remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's drink in remembrance of him. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of being delivered from bondage, set free from sin. We thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth because you have set us free. And we thank you that we will never forget that this is our blessing, our privilege, because Jesus died and rose from the dead. Died that our sins might be forgiven and rose that we might receive eternal life. And we thank you that one of these days we will gather around that celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will celebrate forever what Jesus Christ has done for us. We bless you. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.